Hello and welcome to another edition of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast based out of Perth, Western Australia. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and have, thank you for having me back. Today's topic, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original motion picture from 1990. If you haven't watched Turtles yet but you want to, go watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. I happen to know, Nathan, that you are a massive Turtles fan. I grew up the biggest Turtles fan. That movie is probably, you know, the high the high watermark of my childhood and it has sat very fondly with me ever since. So what was your entry point? Was it the animated series, the toys, the comics? I think it was a bit of a bit of all really. Um it was it was the animated series obviously because that captured the imagination of every kid and that was what the hook that really drew you in. And from there, you know, you got the comics and from there you got the toys and it was just the empire just spawned and you were just helpless like a deer in the headlights. I loved the toys. I watched the animated series and I did enjoy it, but my favourite thing about the Turtles was always the toys. Oh, absolutely. And I've seen your comic collection. It goes back. I mean, have you got... What point would you say you started collecting? You've not got the original, I, one, have you? I started out getting the um, the original Mirage uh, uh, Mirage Studios ones that Eastman and Laird, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird did. Um, and I, I got those in tandem with the Archie ones because the Archie ones were kind of spoke to the animated cartoon more with that style and that look and that friendly kind of kid-friendly kind of look. And um, But then I discovered that the original Mirage Studio ones were out as well and I got those as well. And um, I just loved both of them. I loved the different you know, pitch and, and change in tonality between the two series. And Mirage was a independent publisher, wasn't it? It was, it was. It was very much their own thing, their own startup thing. And you mentioned the creators there, so we've got Kevin Eastman and Peter Ladd. Yep. Yep, and, Eastman and Laird, yep. Yes. Laird, not Ladd. Laird. <laughs> Got to get that right. L-A-I-R-D. Okay. So we're yeah. talking characters who first originated in comic books, published, as you say, by Mirage Studios, and expanded into... Cartoon series, films, video games, toys, and other merchandise. Now, the impact that Turtles had at the time was insane. It was gigantic. I mean, what now could you compare? Because I was thinking, you know, what would be a good comparison? Knowing a lot of people are into the Marvel Studios movies. Yeah. But it's still not, as, not Turtle Mania. No, I, I think the closest, closest thing you could probably get it to these days is maybe Pokemon. It's just not... I, yeah, I mean, that's another... It's a popular thing, isn't it? But I'm thinking, something what is just, just transcends? What's in the news? What is everybody talking about? Yeah, and, I know what you mean. And Turtles, it made such a massive impact. And to think, we're not talking about a comic based on DC or Marvel. This an was independent, an independent publisher. Yeah, absolutely. There was two guys, apparently, who just had a few beers one night and just sort of were doing silly scribbles and thought it was kind of rather amusing. And then the next morning, they looked at it with more sober eyes and thought, hey, we've got something here. I think the first one, it was uh, Eastman, wasn't it? Mm. He did the first turtle, stood up on back legs, had a mask, yep. and nunchucks. Yep. And they had this thing where they would compete with each other. So then Laird would come back and he'd do his version. And what I'd heard about them, what I found interesting, every comic they worked on together, they both contributed to a page in some way. Yeah. Maybe one would draw and one would ink, yeah. one would draw and one would colour. So that they're combined efforts was on every page and i like that yeah i always thought that was a really true collaboration and that's really in the spirit of what comics should be but unfortunately over the years they did fall out but Mm. they've since come back together which is obviously great to hear so independent comic but it was the animated series the animated series the toys that's what just took it to another level and then when the movie came 
people were more than ready. Oh man, that, that movie in 1990, I would have been 10 years old and I was anticipating it so hard. And when it when it came out, I just lost my crap. I really did. I was so excited for it. Love the poster. Yeah. Incredible. The, the turtles, they're in the sewer, yeah. looking out there. Yeah, they, they see them like just kind of looking out of the crack in the uh, in the sewer as, as the manhole uh, lid, lid comes up and you just see their four coloured masks and the city around them. Brilliant. In the animated series, that's where the coloured masks originally came from. Because mm. originally they all had the They're same colour. Red. Yep. The first animated series ran from 86 until 96. I didn't realise it ran as long as it did. Yeah, that's incredible looking back on it. The show places a much stronger emphasis on humour than the comics do. Here, the Ninja Turtles are portrayed as four wisecracking, pizza-obsessed superheroes that fight the forces of evil from their sewer hideout. And they make their first appearance in masks... As we say, the colour-coded. So what do you got? You've got red, yellow, blue. I don't know why I'm blanking. Uh, no, it wasn't Purple. Yellow. It wasn't yellow. It was no, red, red, orange. Yes. So you got orange Michelangelo, yeah. Red blue, Raphael. Yep. Uh, blue Leonardo and purple Donatello. I feel as though we've just lost all credibility. <laughs> okay. Dude, we're getting old. We're getting on. It's staying in. I'm not going to edit out. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we've got the colourful turtles in their masks. You know the guy responsible for many sitcoms, Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men, I'm talking Chuck Law. Oh, yep, yep. He recorded the theme song and performed the spoken parts. I never knew that. I know. Isn't that insane? That is insane. You know when you hear someone who's known for and famous for one thing and then you hear they did something else? And you just go, holy crap. That Turtles opening theme is incredible. It is so cool. So damn catchy as well. Question for you, here in Australia, did you have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Hero Turtles? That's a good one. Uh, We had Ninja, but I know very well that in the UK it was called Hero. Blew my mind when I heard the song as Ninja for the first time, because I grew up, they were were heroes, they weren't ninjas. And you know what, it's a rare um, artifact and item among comics aficionados. You can actually track down the um, Archie Comics series that that was, uh, was published uh, as hero turtles over there in the UK, and you can actually, they're a rare thing to find, but if you can track down those comics with the word hero on the title, they fetch a, pre- oh, a, really? a pretty, pretty big penny, so I'm told. But what I heard about it is that we can't have them be called Ninja Turtles because it sounds too violent, so let's call them Hero Turtles, but change nothing else about the show. Yeah, which I thought was They've crap. They've still got the weapons and everything. Anyway, yeah. it was just one of those odd things that suddenly you find out that the rest of the world had ninjas. Hmm. Just one more thing on the song. I did say it was recorded and spoken word by Chuck Law. The actual singer of the song was James Mandel, also known as Miles Doppler. Mm. We've got a live action TV series, 97 until 98. The next mutation. I'm betting that would have been terrible. Have you seen any of that? No. Currently on Netflix. I didn't want to watch it when it was first on. Out of curiosity, I sampled a little bit before recording. It's awful. Like it really is bad. You could not unsee it. In 1990, we'll get to it, but the costumes, the the way the look of the turtles, phenomenal. Oh yeah, and then absolutely. seven years later on TV, just not as good. Botched it. And you know, there's an an episode or two where they did a crossover between turtles and Power Rangers in space. Actually, the series you're talking about, I think I do have a recollection. It was 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 there a female character? Yes, female turtle. I'm blanking on her name, but she had a, a light. Oh, um, I nearly got a name then. She had like a light blue mask. That's right. I, I I do know what you're talking about now. I did see glimpses of it. I just never, don't think I ever like took a vested interest in it. It lasted a season. Just because, yeah, just because it felt like it was a bastardization of what we loved as kids. The second animated series ran from 2003 until 2009. This series lasted 
well, it lasted until 2009, ending with a feature-length TV movie titled Turtles Forever. Mm. You may have not seen that series, but have you watched Turtles Forever? I think I have, yes. And it's the combination of all the different Turtles oh, from all the it different is universes. so good. I do recall seeing that, yep. I'm not saying it's my favourite, but it's one of my favourite Turtles movies. It was movies. pretty rad. It's the 2003 Turtles, but yeah, they meet the versions from the 80s. Yeah. But they also go into the Mirage comics world. Which is awesome. And, and it's black and white yeah. and red masks. And they're really gritty, I remember. And the the contemporary at the time Turtles, they're just irritated by the 80s Turtles. Yeah, and they're going, what the hell is with the, the 90s cartoon Turtles? These guys are pansies. Yeah, it was. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I'm I'm due a rewatch of that oh, movie. Me too. I must get around to watching that again just to spark my nostalgia all over again. The third animated series ran from 2012 until 2017, so it just ran for five seasons. Is that the Nickelodeon one? It is, yeah, yeah, and it's. I thought it was okay. I didn't mind it. I I felt like I started watching that, and I felt like it captured the spirit of the earlier Turtles. Well, from memory, I think Jason Biggs voices Leonardo, and I think Sean Astin is maybe Raphael. Yeah, and you know what? That kind of works too. Their voices actually work for those characters. I didn't stick around for that one, but out of curiosity, I checked out Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now mm-hmm. that is the current one, the fourth animated series that is currently airing on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. That's the one where what they've done is the turtles have always had different personalities. Mm. You've got four brothers act and say different things, mm-hmm. but what they did with the current animated series, they've actually made them different types of turtles. And they've so one's like a snapper turtle, yeah. so they don't. You know, the different colours. I didn't like that whatsoever. I remember looking at... Because we get the toy line where I work. And I was looking at the toy line for it. And I was just going, I do not like this redesign of the turtles. It looks horrible. It's abhorrent. And it's a smack in the face to everything we loved about them. But it is 2D. I like that it's 2D. Mm. Mentioned toys there. So the initial motivation behind that original animated series was toys. To push the toy line. The guys at Mirage were approached to create a toy line with... Playmates, and but, that's where they made a few changes, I guess, to sell sell mm, more toys. I always thought it was Kenner, but I think you're right; it was Playmates. Kenner did the real Ghostbusters, and I think they did Star Wars as well. Uh, but okay. Playmates yeah. are the ones that did. I'll never forget. Details. I'll never forget when I got my first Turtles toys. I got Raph first, and I wanted so desperately to get Michelangelo first because he was my favorite. But I ended up getting Raph first for whatever reason. Then I got Mikey, and then I think it was Leo, and then Donnie. But I loved them all. But yeah, it was great. In fact, with Playmates, they were interested in the comic, but they wanted an animated series to go with it. Because mm. if you think what was happening at that time, we had Masters of the Universe, that was a toy line first, huge. and then the cartoon was to sell toys. Yeah. So that, was, I guess, was happening here with Turtles, and they initially made five episodes. Yeah. And then obviously the greenlit for more, and then we got all those I was seasons. Thinking, yeah, I was just thinking about this last night um, in, in preparation for this podcast today, and I was thinking, what were the big franchises around in the late 80s when I was a kid? Well, I was probably like eight, nine, or ten. And it was definitely The Turtles, and it was definitely Masters of the Universe, and probably Thundercats, and they were like the three big tentpole franchises that you geeked out on as a kid. So it was a comic, then a toy line, then mm-hmm. an animated series to sell more toys, then a movie, and then a movie. Yeah. And it worked. So the movie then, four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles emerge from the shadows to protect New York City from a gang of criminal ninjas. The foot. That's them. <laughs> it's, it, honestly, it's been so many years since I'd watched this movie. And I was very, I'm going to start with this, I was very underwhelmed by mm. the opening. Mm. 
It's very dated, but that's okay. But what I was underwhelmed by was the crime. Mm. So we just simple pickpocketing oh, and it's single pickpocket, but it took maybe four gang members to steal one wallet until eventually it gets handed off to a member of the foot. Yeah. I think why is this so elaborate? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? That member of the foot could have just walked up to that guy and took his wallet. Yeah. But they're being so shady. Yeah. But then I guess maybe the whole thing is that the world isn't supposed to know about the no. foot. It's meant to be in the shadows. This was, still... before, this was before the internet, so no one could just, like, get their smartphone out and be like, oh, look what's happening over here. But still, I thought, it's like, is, is this your approach to every crime? Yeah, to be yeah. so elaborate and to so involve so many... There's a lady that gets her TV nicked, and she's on the, like, the balcony where the stairs is, and she goes to do something, like, her attention, like, gets, you know, taken away from TV. She goes to do something, and then she turns back, and the TV's gone, and the kid's running off down the street with it. That made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Now let's go back there then. So 1990, the box office of this movie was mm-hmm. huge. It was the highest grossing independent film of all time. Absolutely. Having made 135 million in domestic box office and 66 million in the foreign box office. Huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie followed Batman. Yep. But obviously Batman was backed by Warner Brothers. Oh, yeah. Big tentpole studio movie. The live action actors, because this movie is broken up into many parts yeah. and, you, and you can say that about the characters mm. for, even for a turtle it took four people to play each turtle yeah you had puppeteers and animators off screen then they would do, they would do all the facial movements and then you have the actor inside the actual suit doing the movements um and acting out the, the movements and the ninjutsu and stuff but then you also had the dialogue guys like the voice guys doing the voice uh that the puppeteers were controlling but watching some of the behind the scenes, I really like this because they are puppets, but it's it was revolutionary at the time. Absolutely. It was animatronics. And I think you watched it as well. There's a, a behind the scenes feature on the Blu-ray. Yeah. And it's just hearing new casters back then talking about this. Hey, there's this new thing. It's going to revolutionize cinema. Amazing and technology. it did. But it's this new thing. And it's almost like it said animatronics with a question mark at the end. Yeah. You know, because it was just so new. Yeah. But when you think they are still puppets. So yeah. I didn't realize when you've got somebody that's controlling the mouth on the turtle, they're gesturing with the hand. Like it's still a hand puppet. Yeah. Oh, man. I was really impressed just going back and watching how they did it. Yeah. And I'd always enjoyed the look of the turtles. But before we get too far into that, let's talk about the live-action actors. We've got Judith Hogue as April O'Neil. Of course, she is a reporter for Channel 3 News. Mm-hmm. She, did, sorry, she didn't come back for the others. No, she didn't. This was the only one. I think Paige Turco, or whatever her name was, was the, the chick who did April in the second movie. We weren't there, but apparently there were problems on set. <laughs> but anyway, so you were going to say... I was going to say, April like didn't really occur to me um, as being you know, kind of attractive or good looking until way later on. I, she was just to me, she was just like a plot device. But now when I look back on, it, I'm like, you know what, April's actually not too bad. She's, you know, she's good looking. And I thought, you know, she played the part well. She's she essentially did. the she did Lois Lane type, very much so. And and you believe her bond with the turtles. You believe her sincere um, her love for them and you know her affection for them. I did that comes miss. Across. The yellow jumpsuit, though, which apparently they did want her to initially wear, but she refused. Well, they made it made an appearance of sorts. Uh, I I've got this in my notes that um, I noticed that when she in that initial scene where she's leaving the newsroom after doing that initial uh, bulletin that you see at the start of the movie, and she gets jumped, mugged. She is wearing a yellow um, a yellow trench coat or a, a long flowing yellow kind of 
PVC or plastic looking coat. So it's like a homage that, to the comics. Yeah, that's a callback and a homage to the, not only the comics, but the animated series. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, if I, yeah I'd say more so the, the animated comics. Series. The animated series, yeah, that's where she would have had it. the full yellow yeah. jumpsuit, yeah. And it's a cartoon where characters don't change the wardrobe. No. So she has that one outfit. Every single damn cartoon. Casey Jones, played by Elias Cotius. Cotius. Yeah. He's a badass character. He, he really is. He on was, the page and on the screen. He was rad. He, he really stole the, uh, the movie for me. He stole the scene. Um, he was great. Interestingly enough, many, many years later, he popped up in The Sopranos as a... Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous counselor. Oh, really? Yeah. He's, wow. He's, he was like a, he played a counselor of some sort. I, I don't know if it was alcohol addiction or drug addiction, but he played the part really well. And um, he's, uh, it was just jarring for me to, all these years later, see Elias Cotius as that. And I was like, it's Casey Jones, because I'll forever remember him as Casey Jones. So, of course, we're talking about Casey Jones, a streetwise vigilante and former ice hockey player who becomes an ally of the Turtles. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting about his character, he isn't a tortured soul like Batman, Spider-Man, he didn't suffer great loss. Mm-hmm. He was just watching TV. He saw they were crime in the city and decided to do that. something about it. Yeah. It wasn't driven like I mean, a big a, loss. He's got a sense of humor about him too. Yeah, now we're not here to talk about the Michael Bay one, but what did you reckon to Stephen Amell as Casey Jones? Mm, neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I was, I was just, um, I was just wondering. I, oh, thought, he, I thought maybe you'd was, give me he, a little bit more. He was serviceable, but uh, I uh, look. The last Curtis is always going to be Casey Jones for me. So there's only one Casey Jones. Oh yeah. We've got the young punk Danny Pennington, played mm. by Michael Turney. So he's the son of Charles, who is April's boss at the at the news station. Are they having like a relationship or something as well? Are they? No, I know. Oh, no, I think I just, it's I think it's very much a Perry White Lois Lane relationship. Right, okay, because I kind of read a different subtext into that. <laughs> okay. All these years later, yeah, as an adult, just watching a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we've got Danny. You know, he's a bit of a bad lad, yeah, and you he's know, a he's a bit of an entitled brat. I didn't realize until this rewatch how integral he is to this plot. Mm, he really he is. very much ties it all together. Yeah, he's like because he's a snitch, and he um, later on when Shredder finds out, he's got that you know like that notice. That, that sketch of Leonardo, and he then Shredder puts two and two together and realizes he's in league with him, and they're back. Exactly, he's mm-hmm. very crucial to this plot. Like <laughs> the movie wouldn't work without Danny, mm-hmm. and of course his dad Charles, played by Jay Patterson, mm. who maybe was having a relationship with April on the side. I guess we'll <laughs> never know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, just, I mean, I think just that initial scene where you first see them all together in the room, and you know Danny's just like. You know, sort of ignorant in the distance with his headphones on. And the way that April and, and Charles are talking, it just seemed like they were a couple and they were having a fight. I don't know. That was yeah, I mean, maybe I need to see it again. That was I, yeah, I never I picked know. up. That was that. just a vibe I picked up all these years later. When I you know when I was a kid I didn't really care about that kind of stuff. We've got the Shredder, the founder oh. of a network of runaways turned thieves <laughs> and the main antagonist for the film. He's Shredder. the big guy. The Shredder makes this film for me. His entrance was the most badass thing I've know, ever seen. But he's no Uncle Phil. I'm such a big fan of Shredder in the animated true. series. Yeah. I was struggling oh, to accept anyone else as Shredder. Because he's so used to hearing like, Bebop, Rocksteady. Yeah. 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 No, I, no, for me, um, the Shredder is so awesome. He's one of my favorite villains of all time because he's just so intimidating to look at with all the armor and all the blades and the cape and the helmet. And you just go, that is a badass dude right there. And you know, you know he's a badass dude when he walks in and he makes that entrance. And the designer Shredder came from... Was it Kevin Eastman had the idea of putting a cheese grater on his wrist or on his arm? Yeah, and, and that of, was the. That was the imagine how badass it would be if it was a villain just covered in like you know razors. So he was played by James Sato, and unfortunately, I'm not reading it down, but I believe another person voiced him. 
Kevin Clash? No. No, he did Splinter. Mm. And Elmo. <laughs> Sesame oh, Street whoa, was okay. crazy. That's yeah, random. the same guy that, that uh, was the puppeteer and the voice of Splinter, it's Elmo from Sesame Street. There's a head turner. But there was another guy, unfortunately, I forgot to note his name down, but Shredder was two people. Okay. Just like um, Tatsu, he's second in command. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was also two people. Wow, well, you So they nice. dubbed him. It's an odd movie. Like that's really weird. Most movies, you get that, one person to play one character. This movie never occurred to me. The dubbing never occurred to me. I guess I'll have to rewatch it. I mean, Shreddy can do it because he's you know he's got he's his headpiece got, got the mask on. on and that's easy. Up. Yeah. Did you spot Sam Rockwell? Spot who? Sam Rockwell. No. Oh wait, was he the the, the um the punk at the end of the movie who tells the cop yeah, you know the, go to that warehouse and blah 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 blah. He's the head thug. That's wow. his official credit in this movie. There you Sam go. Sam Rockwell, head thug. There you go. We've got the voice cast then, Leonardo, who is the leader, of course, mm-hmm. of the Turtles, who has the closest relationship to Splinter. You know, he's like he's the good son. He's the one that wants yeah. to do everything right do by it. his yeah. father Daddy's slash boy. Yeah. master. And he was voiced by Brian Tocci. Hmm. And I think he was in Police Academy. Right. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But if he was... He was in, I think, Police Academy 3. It's funny you should mention Police Academy because the I noticed this, and I could be wrong about this. You can feel free to correct me. But the head of uh, the police, the chief, the police chief, I reckon that was Mauser, Captain Mauser from the earlier Police Academy movies. Oh, really? Yeah, it looks exactly like him. I can just tell. Some faces just stick out at you. I reckon he was Captain Mauser, the head, the head of chief in um, um, Ninja Turtles movie. Okay, so the... Right, okay, I'll have to go back and have a look. Yeah. I, I love the Police Academy films. The, Me too. The police chief in, was, in Turtles was played by Raymond Sierra. Yeah, and I reckon he was okay. Colonel, uh, Captain Mauser. Cool. Yeah. Donatello, known as the brains of the Turtles. Mm-hmm. This blew my mind when I first found out that he was voiced by Corey Feldman. There you go, the geeky one. But I'd have thought Corey Feldman would have been a much better fit for, I don't know, Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. But I guess it works, though, but I wouldn't have thought Corey Feldman, well, he's the tech guy. Yeah, yeah. He sounds kind of nerdy, kind of geeky, so I can see it. Feldman didn't come back for two, but he came back for three. Yeah. He came back for the wrong one, in my opinion. Two, uh, in two, he was voiced by, and I could be wrong, was it Leif Tilden? Okay, that sounds right. It was Leif Tilden. That sounds right. Uh, Josh Pace as Raphael, the rebellious and angry turtle. He was perfect. He had the angst, he had the anger, the hot-headedness. One more comparison to Turtles 2. The Secret of the Ooze, the official title. Yeah, that was great. I they that did, I think out of all the Turtles, the biggest change in personality was Raphael. Mm. In this first movie, he's dark, he's brooding. There's, he's got all that going for yeah. him. He's, he's, a, he's more of a loner. Yeah. And then just watching the second one, he's just pulling pranks. He's a yeah. bit of a jokester. So it, yeah. it was a bit of a turnaround a bit of a, uh, for his a character. change in his personality, yeah. Uh, Robbie Rist. Uh, voiced Michelangelo. Mikey, my favourite turtle. Of course, the fun-loving party mm-hmm. turtle. Mm-hmm. Always a fan of Michelangelo. And I noticed, looking back on it, that his nunchucks are actually corded. They're not chains. I always thought his nunchucks would be chain, chain-linked chain like they are in the cartoons and the comics. Oh, right. But they uh, in the movies, it's it's a nylon cord, like the practice or training nunchucks they use in um, martial arts when you're first getting to use them. Mm-hmm. So the voices, just to give credit to the, the actors actually in the suits so of playing the turtles... Uh, David Foreman as Leonardo, uh, Michael Sisti as Michelangelo, uh, Leif Tilden as Donatello, and Josh Pace as Raphael. So, mm-hmm. it's, oh, okay. What's really interesting there is, so Josh Pace is the only guy that played, did the voice and the motions That's interesting. of the turtle. 
But all these guys, though, actually have cameos in the movie. Oh, wow. Foreman plays a young gang member. Sisty plays the pizza delivery man. Oh, wow. Tilden is a messenger of the foot. And Pace is a passenger in a taxi. That's awesome. I always thought the pizza delivery man looked like Hank Azaria. Looks a lot like him. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Mm. Well, there we go. That's rough. There you and go. I've said already that... People in this movie are playing multiple parts, or it's taking multiple people to play a particular character. Well, that's probably so good for... So there's double dipping going on all over. Yeah, and that's probably good for the budget, keeping the budget down. But if you're putting all that work into it, in the costume, mm. it's nice that they've given them a part in the movie as well. Mm. So yeah, so heaps of people playing heaps of people. Yeah, and you're in, in a this costume for eight hours a day, pouring sweat, you know? And the costumes were developed by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. I thought it was Stan Winston. Maybe that was the second movie. No, uh, I'm pretty sure Henson came back uh, and did those two mutates. That was always disappointed weren't Bebop and Rocksteady in Super Yeah, and we got so um, Tokar and Razor. Yeah, jeez. Oh, yeah, mm. Everyone guys. wanted Bebop and Rocksteady. And we, eventually, yeah. we eventually got them under Michael Bay. But... We did, but it, I wanted it, and then he just, yeah. Mm. Those movies, I can't even. Let's, we don't need to talk oh, about the Michael yeah, Bay movies. Yeah, um, yeah okay, no, it was uh, Jim Henson. And Brian Henson, Jim's son, did a lot of the puppeteering himself. Like He was on set making the movie. Uh, Jim Henson, this was his last project, or at least one of his last projects before he passed. Yeah, that's unfortunate. At one point, he was having a lot of issues with the level of, levels of violence because, I mean, you think Jim Henson, you've got the Muppet, Sesame yeah. Street, and he was just worried that... It's gonna... it's not representing his brand the way that he would like. Mm, I can understand that. So we mentioned the opening there. It starts on a gritty New York, mm-hmm. which is that's what we've experienced in the comics. We get it to an extent in animation. What do you think to the actual the tone of the movie? Like, do you th- do you think it's all gritty? Is the is the humor there? I think it's a nice juxtaposition of a lot of things. Um, that definitely, if you look at the set pieces and the way New York's presented, it's dirty, it's trashy, it's sleazy, it's it's the eighties. Um, well, it's the nineteen ninety the movie was made, but it looks very eighties. Um, so eight, eighty nine, I think that's when they shot it. Yeah, it was yeah. released in nineteen. So it definitely achieves that look and that grittiness that Eastman and Led were going for in their you know their original comics. Um, and then it, the humor comes in and really speaks to the um, the animated cartoon that we all grew up loving. And, and I think it's a really good amalgam of, of both things. You're right. Yeah, because I think with the animated series being as popular as it was and still on the air at the time, yeah. it made sense to take from that, like having the colored bandanas from the cartoon mm-hmm. incorporated into the movie. What yeah. I think services the tone so well is the soundtrack. Oh, uh, the score by absolutely. John Duprez is absolutely phenomenal. You know, I think it's, uh, there's a, I think Waxworks or is the name of the, the press company that have just released a vinyl of the complete soundtrack in its entirety that has never been released before. And absolutely. I've listened to samples of it online. Yeah. And as a standalone, the music is just phenomenal. And absolutely. in the movie, it just complements it yeah. so well. I actually had the soundtrack on CD. Um, was that the one that had the tracks on it as well or was it just the score I think it was it was the tracks it was the musical tracks as well as some of the score but it was it was all the musical numbers that were in the film that you hear were on it the soundtrack that they put on, okay just first one more thing on the score I, what I really liked is just the, the the range that it has you know from intense it's very intense at times and then it leans it's into comedic. the comical yeah. so it complements it 
but they didn't put out a full soundtrack of his music until this vinyl. Mm. Not on CD, not on iTunes, it's vinyl only, which is a bit disappointing because I don't have a record player. Mm. I'd really like to own that soundtrack. That'd be awesome. But the soundtrack they did put out, it featured only two of his tracks. You had Shredder's Suite. That was great. And Splinter's Tale 1 and Splinter's Tale 2. Yep. Everything else was a pop song. Yep. We've got MC Hammer, This Is What We Do. Yep, that was great. Partners in Crime, Turtle Power. Spin That Wheel. Turtle Rhapsody by Orchestrations yep. on The Half Shell, I think yep. they referred to them that as. That was cool. Yeah, so they were all it's... like the pop songs. I think now they're really shining a light on the actual score, which mm. is so good. And I oh. think the look of the turtles, the designs of the turtles themselves, and the soundtrack really make this film for me today. It's a soundtrack that's so imbued in my childhood and in my life that I still reference it to this day. Like, you know, um, I'll be at work and I'll have like a shoplifter come past and like, I'll be watching him like a hawk. But in my mind, you know that like that sequence where like Danny's in the apartment, he's looking around and he sees a reflection of a turtle under the under yeah, the table, and, yeah. and they hear this. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, the I, music's so good. I do that in my mind when I'm like like stalking like shoplifters at work. I'm just like dun, 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 dun. like I'm an injury and you can't see me. So if I come in and see you at work and you're creeping about internally, I know that's what you hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your yeah, internal yeah, yeah. monologue. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, cool, yeah. man. That's okay, it. we could talk scenes then. Hmm. One that jumps out. To me, it's just the little animatronic turtles. You know when you see them oh, in yeah. the flashbacks? Pizza, pizza. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. That was <laughs> rad. That yeah, was so I, rad. I really like that. Uh, we've spoke to the strengths of Casey Jones, but the scene where Casey and Raphael first meet was pretty cool. Yeah. Like first taking out the bad guys, the best, not quite together, but then fighting each other. The best line, Raph, Raph saying, a Jose can say go back. Tell me, you didn't pay money for this thing. <laughs> I loved it. Cool, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a good line. So good. Yeah, but they're great together, and they they generally they, have a relationship in the comics, the movies, the they animated do, series. And they bounce off each other. It's always so been well. there. I think because they both have this this rage or this intensity inside them, and they 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 understand, um, you know, they understand each other's personas, so they bounce off each other really well. Yeah, I think Raph probably stands out as being one of the stronger characters in this movie. The toys and the animated series, I always leaned more towards Leonardo, mm. whether it's because his initial is L, like mm. Luke, and mm. blue is my favourite colour. and yeah. So all these things are working and sort of cool. Subconsciously. Yes, yeah, so I was always like Leonardo. But there's no denying that the star of the Turtles it's film Raph. is Raphael. Yeah, there's no, no Interesting denying. thing about Raph in the movie, and this um, is a sequence that happens in the comics too, and they replicated it pretty much panel to panel or, or um, scene for scene, shot for shot. But it's switched around. This happens to Leo in the comics, not Raph. That scene where he's on the rooftop and he gets crap beaten out of him by all, all the Foot Clan, and then he gets chucked down the skylight uh, as they walk through the old um, um, antique store. That happens to Leo in the comics. Oh wow! And it's, okay. Yeah, and it's a snowy day in the comics, and there's snow everywhere. Leo's pissed off, and he's trying to like seek some solace and blow off some steam on the rooftop, and then he gets inundated. He gets basically like kind of am- cam- uh, ambushed by. The foot and that whole scene is is revert is inverted or reversed. So it's Leonardo who gets attacked, not Raph. But for the purposes of the movie, they made it Raph because he's the brooding loner. And I think and I think it works. It works. And that's again like a strengthening of the relationship between Casey and Raph because obviously they're involved in that scene together. Yeah. Whenever you see Raph, I say Raph Raphael. What are we going with? Whenever you see Raphael and he's 
he's got the the hats, the like the trench coat. Mm. Always reminds me of the thing, Fantastic Four. Yeah, you know, yeah. that was kind of his go-to thing. I think no, you thing, mentioned it. I think Fantastic Four would have done it first, mm-hmm. but it's just it works. So something so visually appealing. Mm. I've just seen the green face, and he's got the coat. Raps, yeah, and he's cool. got a lot of angst like when he first loses his sigh at the beginning of the movie you know, I lost a sigh and Spooner's like Raphael let it go he's like, I can get it back it's hard for when this was made and I know you know we're not talking Michael Bay but mm. they were able to show us action in the later movies that was more fast paced more fluid mm. compared to what they could do then I mm. think if I'm going to ding the fight scenes which were choreographed beautifully oh, absolutely. and they did speed up the footage yeah because otherwise they'd have been moving way too it slow it just would look really slow glacial pace I didn't quite always buy the fight scenes yeah in this title movie and, it, and it's hard and on one hand you're like oh it's not really working that well and you see that but on the other hand it's like but I wouldn't want wanted them to have done it any other way no, like the, the you know the animatronics the, the suits the designs mm. So it's like, oh, it's kind of not working, and I don't believe mm. that they're as capable as they're telling us they are. It's def- so it, it is a bit jarring. Yeah. But, I, but again, I love the, the designs, but they did the best they could. They they sped the footage up, because yeah. otherwise we'd have had really slow turtles. Yeah. And it'd be like the foot. But yeah, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. It looked great, though. But I mean, it's it's evident, and it comes across when you watch it. It's a little dated, and especially that rooftop confrontation, the final confrontation with Shredder on the rooftop. You can see that some of the some of the techniques and some of the moves they're doing um, just look a little hammy, a little ham-fisted, a little kind of cartoony, um, and that comes across for sure. And, and even, the, fin- the finale works. So the yeah. turtles are taken down, Shredder is triumphant until Master Splinter. Rocks up. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good. It, is cool. it really works. And yeah. it's Splinter in this movie that says the immortal line... Cowabunga. Yeah. And then they copy him. So in the movie, he starts it. And then he's like, I made a funny. Ha ha ha. (laughs) No. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, this uh, this movie is. uh... At the end of the second movie, I made another funny. Oh (laughs) my goodness. Yeah, there's the continuity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh wow. I mean, this movie is. uh, Yeah, it's. It's great. It's referred to by many as a cult classic. It's one of those movies that is up there. And I mentioned the poster earlier, that the one sheet for this movie is just perfect. I Mm. absolutely love it. And the designs, there's there's so much going for this movie, but then it is extremely dated. Yeah. But there's a lot of movies I can watch that... Like Ghostbusters, 1984. Mm. At no point when I'm watching it do I think, God, it's a bit dated. Because I'm just, I'm just, just I'm just there, I'm it. with it. So yeah. I think that could be my own personal connection with Ghostbusters, that outside of the toys, I didn't necessarily have that for Turtles. You can't look at it with a degree of objectivity. So when the movie came out, it was a movie. But I think for you, it was much more than that. Oh, yeah, because I grew up loving it, just the way you grew up loving the t- um, Ghostbusters. And you're invested, you're involved, and you, you come to love these characters and, and, and their personas and what they represent. You know their, you know their ins and outs. So if you're going to rate this movie today and rate it out of five, how does it sit with you? The kid in me wants to give it a solid five out of five. You do what you want to do because you know this is this is all you. Like This is how you feel about this movie. The kid in me still wants to give it a five out of five, but the adult now, like the 38-year-old watching it, goes, well, I can start to see the gaps and the holes and the flaws in it, and I can start to see how dated it looks and stuff like that. So I think I'm going to downgrade it to about 
in the in the realm of a four or four and a half, if, if that's if that's possible. Yeah, you know, you could do half a point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, four and a half. Four and but half. That doesn't take away. I want to stress it. That does not take away my my love of the turtles and my love of the movie. Just that I'm looking at it through older older eyes now and seeing it in a different context. Um, and uh, that's given me a new perspective on it. But I still absolutely love and adore the film, for sure. For me, the best thing about the film is the costumes, is oh, the turtles. Absolutely. They get it right. Second is the soundtrack, and then it's everything else. I did enjoy watching this, but it's not up there with a 4 or 4.5. Mm. For me, I'll come in at a 3.5. Okay. I did enjoy it. I own the Blu-ray. I'll watch it again at some point. That's... But I didn't like absolutely love it. And the things you were talking about, you're coming from a place where you're like a mm. diehard fan. Mm. And what you're recognizing is its downfalls. I'm probably picking up on a little bit more and it's impacting my score. Yeah, sure. More. But That's I fair. think That's what, fair. Three, three and a half out of five. I mean, anything for me over three is a recommend. This is a fun movie. Mm. And hopefully you have watched it already because otherwise we've just talked about all the best bits, all the things that we like most about it and we spoiled it. But it, it's just. It's a lot of fun, and it's been, if it's been a while since you've watched it, it's worth revisiting. But oh, absolutely. It very much is a movie of its time. It just fills you with nostalgia, and it all comes flooding back, and you just realise what you loved about these characters. So following the huge success of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the box office, several sequels were created. Only a year later, we got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. That was great. And... It was a commercial success. You know, yeah. the first one was a success, the second one, but then there was uh, a bit of a gap in 1993. I'm saying a bit of a gap, not really. So we've got 1990, 91, 93, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. And that never really sat well with me, the third one. I think it was just too disjointed. That's the one where there's time travel. Yeah, they go yeah, yeah. Back they in go time. back in time. It was too jarring and disjointed. It just didn't... That was when they were just starting to kind of sort of peter out. Their, their popularity was starting to kind of wane a bit and other, th other things were coming in and... Other pop cultural phenomenons were really starting to take off, and the turtles were starting to really sort of peter out a bit then. And I think that movie was a last ditch attempt to really sort of, you know, milk the cash cow for all it's worth. And that, yeah, that movie did take a smaller box office compared to those first two. Absolutely. So they actually left the movies alone for 14 years, mm. on the big screen at least. And then we got a fourth film, TMNT, the animated one computer animated yep it was released in 2007 and unlike the first three it was completely cgi this is where we had sir michelle geller as april o'neill yep. i think luke evans not luke evans sorry chris evans captain america himself yep. was casey jones wow patrick stewart is in this as a bad guy yeah <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Like I, 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 I actually it, quite like that one, to be honest. I saw it in the movies, and I do remember parts of it, but I remember it just being like okay and serviceable. And then seven years later, we got a reboot, and of course, this is the Michael Bay produced movie in two thousand fourteen, which had a sequel titled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Out of the Shadows, which was released in cinemas in two thousand sixteen. Mm -hmm. And they're currently working on a reboot. Yeah, they're, they're, they're rebooting it again. So it's still going in the comics. We've got the animated series in Rise and they're making another live action movie. Yeah. Now, after watching the movie for the podcast, I did some further viewing. I watched Turtle Power, the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It is a 2014 documentary all about the franchise. So covering the very, very beginnings 
up until I think the first or maybe second Bay movie. Yeah. And that's where it cuts off. Really recommend watching that one. I definitely got a, a lot out of it. It was a documentary directed by Randall Lobb, and I found it on iTunes. Okay. So if you want a little bit more and want to get some more knowledge on the turtles, which I felt as though I needed mm. in preparation for today, go check it out. It might be interesting to check out just as a retrospective type thing. It is, honestly, it is a good watch. Yeah. yeah. It's worth your time. Absolutely. So that's it for our episode all about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for a upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Our next episode will be all about the Umbrella Academy. And if you missed it, check out what Jason and I thought about the real Ghostbusters. I mentioned I'm a Ghostbusters fan. So you can Several listen times. to me talk about it for an hour. Several times. Also, that film shoot have a recent review for Lego Movie 2, the second part, and a upcoming review for Shazam. Can't wait to see that. I'm really excited for Shazam. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> I enjoyed Captain Marvel, and we're getting the next Captain Marvel film in Shazam. Mm-hmm. Rewind and Review have a recent episode all about 10 Things I Hate About You, the movie from 1999. Always been a favourite of mine. The guys put a good show together. Check it out. Nathan, thank you for being on the show tonight. As always, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure and never a chore. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.